Oh man, I was trying to figure out a way to introduce this sermon. I didn't know if I was going to do like a surprise, like you didn't think you were going to get a sermon since we just finished our Hosea series, and do some riffs off the famous uh, scene in the cultural masterpiece that is the anime series JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where the main villain has a surprise, it was me line, that became a famous meme on the internets. Or was I going to riff off the sermon title that was written by one of my favorite Christian screamo bands, Showbread, that features one of my the voice of one of my favorite Christian ska bands, Five Iron Frenzy. This song is Matthias Replaces Judas, which applies to the Acts reading today, and is actually made into my hymnal, a playlist that I keep on Spotify, where songs have spiritual importance to me, and they represent the different stages of my walk with Christ. And not all are Christian songs. Or I was going to go, or am I just going to go straight into it, because I am a man of business and action and prefer a little to no nonsense. Of course, my wife prefers that type of introduction. See, this is one of the hardest parts of going from a structured series back into ordinary lecture preaching. Or maybe I'm putting just too much pressure on myself, and I'm sure at this point in all of this, my wife is extremely annoyed with me for belaboring an introduction. Okay, so most of you know I tend to be a lectionary preacher. So when we are not in the midst of a series about a specific book, we are following the lectionary. We jump right back right now into year B, Easter 7, which is a fancy way of saying that we are seven weeks past Easter, which is actually crazy to think about that, that we're already that far along. So today we'll be using readings from John, 1 John, and Acts. Now, 1 John works as a summation of the confusing language of John, the gospel that we'll be reading today. So we're going to start there. 1 John 5, 9 through 13. If we receive human testimony, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has testified to his Son. Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe in God have made him a liar by not believing in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you so that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Now this is kind of straightforward if you're familiar with the gospel message. God's message is a message that leads towards eternal life, and not just the message or the interpretation of message by human means, but God's message alone. I want to say that again. It is God's message that leads to eternal life, not just the message of interpretation by human means, but it is God's message alone. It is God alone who gives us eternal life, and that life is exemplified in his son, Jesus Christ. If we live as Christ has lived, we live with God and thus our life leads to eternal life. If we live apart from that life that Christ lives, we do not live with God, and thus live apart from God. We will discuss this more later. Like I said, this serves as a summary of the gospel reading of John this morning, uh, well, today. But guess what? The gospel of John is very confusing, especially how we they cut up the lectionary reading for this week. So the lectionary reading this week is John 17, 6 through 19. I have made your name known to all of those who gave, who gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. 
now that they know that everything you have given me is from you for the words you gave me gave to me i have given to them and they have received them and know in truth that i came from you and ha they have believed that you have sent me i am asking on their behalf i am not asking on behalf of the world but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours all mine are yours and yours are mine and i have been glorified in them i am no longer in the world but they are in the world and i am coming to you holy father protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one while i was with them i protected them in your name that you have given me i guarded them and not one not one of them was lost except the one who was destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled but now i am coming to you and i may speak these things in the world so that they may give so they may have my joy made complete in themselves i have given them your word and the world has hated them because they did not belong to the world just as i do not belong to the world i am not asking you to take them from this world but i ask you to protect them from the evil one they do not belong to this world just as i do not belong to this world sanctify them in truth your word is truth as you have sent me into this world so i have sent them into the world and for their sake i sanctify myself so they may be sanctified in truth this is the word of the lord so that's about as clear as mud right the problem that i instantly run into this when i was trying to read through it is there was not a clear case of pronouns there's a lot of you pronouns thrown around there and and there's not a real co good context that until comes about a couple verses later of who that actually is, who the you is, and also who's speaking. I guess since it is the Gospel of John, it's kind of safe for us to assume that the speaker is Jesus, since the writer never directly addresses the reader, well, not until the very end of the Gospel. So we kind of zoom out a little bit further, and I'm going to read now for us the introduction to this chapter, because I think that helps us give us a better context. So this is John 17, 1 through 5. After Jesus spoke these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence and with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so now we have a better context. Since we are in the Easter part of the lectionary, we know that there are, we are actually post-resurrection. And based off the context clues of the opening of this chapter, we can see that we are about to hit Ascension Sunday, or the Ascension of Christ. And this is where Christ will return to the hand of the Father uh, and stay in heaven, or at the hand of the Father, until Jesus has the second coming. So Jesus is about to take his Uber to heaven. But first, he wants to impart some wisdom and actually some more blessed assurance to those who are listening. So Jesus is saying, you, in the reading today, it's actually pointing towards God and not to us. This is an important distinction. God, Jesus is talking about him and God's relationship. So rereading re the beginning of the gospel today and subbing out you with the pronoun who it's describing, I have made God's name known to those who God gave me from this world. They were God's, and God gave me 
to them, and they have kept God's word. Now they know that everything God has given me is from God, for the words that God gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from God, and they have believed that God had sent me. I am asking now on their behalf, I am not asking on behalf of this world, but on behalf of whom God has given me, because they are God's. All mine are God's, and God's are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Okay, so now that's a bit clear. Christ is talking about God and God's provision that has actually gone before Christ. I believe this is an important concept for us to remember, that God, God has gone before us, all of us, including what Christ is lifting up right now in this example of himself. God had gone before Christ to call people to him. And so that we have talked about this uh, from our time here at NCKCF Parts, is that Christ is calling us, is not Christ calling to us, is not only what Christ said, the physical act of calling, but it's also about how Christ lives. Christ lived in such a way that invited people into his life. He did not call all physically, but he definitely invited all by the way he lived. I want to say that again because I think that's once again an important concept for us in Christians today to remember. Christ did not physically call all people, but he did invite all by the way that he lived. And I believe that this is different than the way the rest of the world works, as Christ pointed out. The way of this world is actually kind of a place of exclusion. It's a place of where we have those and we have those who do not. This kind of world that we live in, the systems of this world, it really thrives on, well, separation. To keep make people feel better about themselves because they are not the other. This world works better when we keep ourselves separated. That's how the system of this world wants to work. And what Christ offered was something different. Christ offered inclusion, an opportunity to be a part of something larger, something that we all desire. Something that I believe is connected to the Imago Dei, or the image of God that is imprinted in all of us, is that desire to be connected. As our God is triune, our God who always both exists and coexists, we too desire to both exist and coexist. We desire to be connected, and this world preys on that. It preys on us by giving us the illusion of connectedness, but in reality separates us. I'm going to say that again because, once again, this is a point that I'm going to belabor. We desire to be connected, and this world preys on it. It gives us the illusion of connectedness, but actually works to separate us. And it separates us and keeps us apart, so we always want to have something a little bit more. We can always desire a little bit more. Because if we keeps us apart... We never lose that desire to be connected. If this world continues to keep us apart, we will never lose our desire to be connected. And this is counter to what Christ actually offers and what he continues to offer to us today. It's an opportunity to be included, to be apart. Or as the writer of John would write in his later letter, to join in what is eternal. The first reading we had from 1 John, to join in what is eternal. To join in what was, what is, and what continues to be. Just as God went before Christ, God goes before us now. 
And so as we continue in the gospel reading, Christ keeps talking about God and implores God to watch over his followers of Christ. Christ asked that as God watched over him, Christ asked God to watch over them. And then we have two phrases in scripture that resonate with us because they're used in other parts of the Bible. The first phrase, that my joy may be complete in themselves. In the context of which Christ uses this term, Christ is referring to them hearing the word of God and responding to it. Christ is saying that his joy is made complete by those who hear the good news of God and respond. But the response is not demanded in a singular form, but rather in a plural form. It is not about individual response that makes Christ's joy complete. It is a corporate, communal response. Christ does delight over the individual responding to Christ. He is the one who sought, he is the good shepherd who sought the one over the 99, and he rejoiced over that individual. But Christ here is saying his joy is made complete by when we respond, by the body of Christ responding. I say this because this is a tension inside of the American church where we tend to lift up individuality over corporate identity or responsibility. We care more about individual response, have you said that singular sinner's prayer, than we do about corporately or communally responding to all things. This is a tension because there is an individual call to response. Christ does call us as individuals. He rejoices over the one single sinner returning to the fold and lives into the life that God has for them. But it it seems that if we are truly to experience the completeness of Christ's joy, the completeness of the kingdom, there's calls for us as a community to respond as well. We're responsible to make Christ's joy complete. Not just you, not just me, but the we. We are responsible for making Christ's joys complete here bringing in the kingdom of God here. The second phrase is paraphrased by Paul, by Paul, sorry, but is similar to this. This comes from uh, Philippians, I believe. I have given them your world and your world has, oh no, I'm sorry. I am completely off right now. The other way that it is talked about making his joy complete is written by Paul in Philippians. And Paul talks about that as the unity that he experiences in the body. He says, make my joy complete by having unity in the body. And this is what I I, I got this thing where Christ is saying, making my joy complete is the unification of the body. Because Paul also says this in Philippians. Okay, now back to the second phrase that I want to talk about is paraphrased by Paul, but is similar to a phrase that we hear here in the gospel. Um, This is from... uh, the gospel reading. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to this world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them from this world, but I am asking you to protect them from evil. And include the whole statement of the gospel context because I want to talk about that statement in its entirety. The other scripture is famously from Romans 12:2, where Paul writes, Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your minds that you may figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. So Christ's words are are saying to these listeners that the world and the systems of this world will hate you because the instruction that Christ gives you are anti to their system. See, being Christian and the uh, the ideals of Christianity at that time were very countercultural. To care for the widow, to love the other, that was countercultural to their time. 
And when Christ is saying all these things, you know, we've talked about it through our studies in Mark, that it was so revolutionary that it is that revolution that gets him killed. His, his way of living, the way that God has called us to live, was so revolutionary that the state begins to notice and gets him killed. So, once again, if this world thrives on exclusion and Christ is offering words of inclusion, the systems of this world, the kingdoms of this world, will hate those who move us closer towards the kingdom. When we build systems that are inclusive and caring for all individuals, this world will hate us. The kingdoms of this world will hate us. When we build things to look more like the kingdom of God than the kingdom of of America, the world, the systems of this world will hate us. And the world fights God's pull towards justice. The world will fight God's pull towards justice. The world wants us to join into their systems, to participate in their systems, and to become one with their systems. But God has offered us an alternative, and because of that, The world will hate us because we kind of pull back the cloth and they're able to see the wizard for really what the wizard is. And in the the gospel, listen, Christ says something very interesting. He says that we should not be removed from the world, just protected. For me, this is Christ urging us to still be a part of what's going on in this world, working inside of it and working against it. We need to be included in this world so that we can offer another way out. I say this because there's a tension for how the words of Paul have been interpreted. There's been a history of the words of Paul being interpreted as to, uh, to as a decry to stay away from this world, to isolate yourself, to not join into the systems of the world, and to live set apart. Now, I do believe that it be true for some, but I do not believe that is true for all. We are not all called to be apart from this world, because there are some who are called to interact with this world. Just as Christ came into the systems of this world to call them out, to be the agent of change, we are also called to go into the systems of this world, to call them out, to be an agent of change. Once again, not all are called to do this, but not all are called to remove ourselves away from the world either. But all are called by God to be washed over by God. This is once again what Christ says at the end of that gospel lesson. Christ asks for God's protection, and thus we are protected. And as Paul says, all our minds are being renewed, or rather a better way of saying this, our minds are being resurrected to live into the calling that God has for us. Our minds are being resurrected. And I think there's actually something interesting when you begin that notion of resurrection and you're talking about this world. Christ, who was resurrected, is now leading us towards the resurrection of the true way this world was meant to work. The systems of this world have perverted, have changed the way that we live into chains. And Christ is saying, their death, there can still be resurrection. Because ultimately, this calling, this wake up is what God desires of us. Christ came into the systems of this world to wake us up and break us out of the systems of this world to not sleepwalk through life, but rather be awake and be present. Be present with God. So Christ, as Christ, was present with God. In Christ, the coming and going. In Christ's breathing, all were present with God. In Christ's coming and going in his breathing, all he was was present with God. He breathed God in. He breathed God out. 
be a part of this world, but not of it. Be present in this world, but be protected. God has gone before us, and Christ is with us. And this all leads us to our reading of Acts 1, 15-17, 21-26. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers to gather the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became our guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and he was allotted his share in ministry. Some of the men who have accomplished, accompanied us during all the times the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of them must become a witness to his resurrection. So they, they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Now they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship from Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast a loss, and they fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So now, this is the word of the Lord. You may ask yourself, Jerry, why did you include the scripture? There's no direction. There's no instruction. In fact, it's just narrative. Now, I want to include this because the replacement of Judas is an important part of the story of Christ in the early church because it actually speaks to our own calling that we all have a calling and a place in the story of God. When Justice and Matthias responded to the kingdom of God, they did not know they were going to be offered an opportunity to become a part of the original twelve. We do not get to know how long Matthias or Justice followed Christ. We just know that they were present among them. We do not get to know if even they ever talked to Christ directly or Christ ever talked to them. But yet, God had a plan before them. God had gone before them. And they were called. I want to say this to all of us who are listening. We may never know what God has planned for us. We do not get to know how God has gone before us. We do not know what the calling on our life looks like. We have what Christ did, who, well, just existed. He lived. Christ lived as God had instructed him to do, and in that, Christ was called. Christ is called. And for us, just as Justice and Matthias, we do not get to know what God has called us to do, but we do get to know how God has called us and what God has called us to be. That is, to live, to breathe, to love Christ as Christ has loved us. We are called just to be. So some of us may be called to be missionaries, and some of us may be called to go overseas. Some of us may be called into corporate world, and some of us may go into the unknown. But in all of this, we are called just to be. We are called just to be. We will never know what we are called to go, where we are going to be called to go. But I can promise you this. Just be and know that God, the one that is eternal, the one that is forever, has gone before you and goes behind you. And in that way, find comfort, find protection. But most of all, in these times, find rest. Be blessed this week. And until we meet again, please be as Christ has called you to be.